Welcome to Earned Media Rising, the podcast powered by Cision and brought to you by PR Week. Our exciting partnership with Cision is in its third year now, and this podcast series is a key part of that. Year three started with a terrific sit-down between Cision CEO Kevin Aykroyd and PR Week Editorial Director Steve Barrett, and we have a great podcast for you today. My name is Gideon Fiddleside, Managing Editor of PR Week, and I'll be your host for this episode, which focuses on the many hats today's comms leaders have to wear. I'm super excited about this, not only because of the topic, but because of my guest. I'm live on location in Chicago at Miller Coors, and I am thrilled to welcome Pete Marino, Chief Public Affairs and Comms Officer at Miller Coors, and President Tenton Blake. As you'll quickly realize, he is the perfect leader to speak on this topic. Much like all our podcasts, this one will be available online at earnmediarising.com and also available on iTunes and SoundCloud. But before we get into the conversation, Pete, thank you so much for not only taking the time to sit with me today, but for allowing me to visit Miller Corps' really cool offices to do this podcast. How you doing, Pete? I'm good, Gideon. It's always good to see you. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Chicago is really one of my favorite cities. I'm not one of these snobby New Yorkers who says, oh, Chicago is it's a second city for a reason. Very cool city. And uh, I've been at PR Week long enough to actually say that I've actually been in these offices before. Uh, I kind of wear that as a badge of honor. These are really cool offices. I don't know how you get any, job, any work done around here, but that's why you're good at what you do. And we're about to prove it, Pete. So I've got a few, excuse me, got a few questions for you. So let's get started. So um, as much as you're able to talk about, as evidenced by the current controversy from earlier this year, you've had experience dealing with situations where a competitor slams you falsely for something. And in today's day and age, that gets, that gets amplified exponentially and with incredible speed. So how do you handle instances such as this? And how has your handling of situations like this evolved over recent years? Well, let me start with the second question because I think it'll help inform the first one. I think one of the things that's changed dramatically is communications has just simply has to move at the speed of news and the speed of culture. And both of those things are accelerating, you know, on an annualized basis. And so when something like that happened, you know, live during the Super Bowl, we needed to be, you, you need to be able to build a communications function that is both prepared and connected within the organization to be able to respond with speed and with precision. And so rather than talking about the specifics of, of what we did, mm -hmm. I'd rather just talk about how you prepare for, for something like that because I think it all comes down to the people you bring into the organization and how the communications function is viewed within an organization. We've been fortunate in that we've always had leaders inside this company that value the role communications can play. Now, some of that might be because we're always a distant number two in a very competitive category, you know, kind of the Avers, we try harder. Communications has always been a strategic function here. And so what we've always been able to do is we have been able to move with great pace and great effectiveness because we are trusted and we are at the table with the business as it's running on a, on a daily, weekly, and monthly basis. And so it came down to, for us, all about the connectivity that we've got within the organization, the trust that we've been able to build up over time, and the connectedness to the business that allows us to respond the right way. Connected to the business, trust, transparency, terrific words are so important to the comms function. If you don't mind, I actually do want to go back to something you said about bringing in the right people. Can you talk a little bit about what you mean by that? Yeah, so the, 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 our, my last big hire in communications um, currently is, is a guy named Adam Collins. He's our vice president of communications. Adam spent six years working at the right hand of Chicago Mayor Rahm Emanuel, who is somebody who moves with a lot of pace and a lot of ferocity around certain things. <laughs> yeah. And so 
I've known Adam for the better part of his six years working with the mayor, and we stayed in, con in, in contact over the years, and I knew at some point he was going to be ready to do something else. And the um, everything collided at the right time when we were looking for somebody because our previous VP of comms elected to retire at the end of last year. Mayor Rahm Emanuel decided he wasn't going to run for re-election and he wanted to go do something else. So the stars aligned and Adam and I he had been in contact the whole time, as I mentioned, and said, now might be a great time for you to try something else. And so bringing in somebody like Adam, who is trained to move very fast, very well connected with media, and understands how to strategically drive a narrative is something exactly what I mean by that. Well, that's terrific. Now, obviously, not everybody out there is going to get the chance to hire the mayor's right-hand person, but that's really, really good advice in thinking about how you can staff your team a little bit out of the box, perhaps. I also assume that uh, some of those conversations happen over a beer, of course. Absolutely. Oh, that's terrific. Yeah, uh, two things that, that, uh, that, that, that are always important is either beer or coffee in my world. Um, in that order. Yeah. Um, you are in a very unique role, Pete. You are not only head of comms and public affairs at a huge brand, but you are also the president of 10th and Blake Beer Brand. Talk about wearing many hats. Please talk a little bit about how you manage both roles, and I'd love to hear about how each of those roles helps you in the other post. Yeah, no, great question. I mean, I think part of the how comes down to the people you surround yourself with. So I'm very fortunate that I've got good teams in both the 10th and Blake side and, and good teams on the comm side. So the ability to kind of free up some of the stuff that I need to go do to focus on both of those jobs is enabled by the teams that, that, that are surrounded, that I'm surrounded by in both of those organizations. Um, but it's, it's certainly not without its challenges. You know, I think what has been helpful for me is I've always kind of thought about um, uh, myself as a storyteller and an internal reporter. And so the comms training has, I think, helped me very much in terms of how we frame up what we want to go do in 10th and Blake. How do we talk about it to our partners? Because we have four craft partners that we've purchased over the years. We've started another craft company. And then we've got a, a series of imports who we have relationships with from their home countries. Um, and so thinking about how we want to tell the story about what success looks like, thinking about how we want to um, engage some these craft partners who were all entrepreneurs who started these businesses and elected to sell them to us, and they want to stay very much involved in helping to amplify and accentuate their success and, and, and expand. Um, I think the, my comms training has been, has been very helpful to me uh, inside Tenth and Blake, and I think my connectivity and my even further closeness to the business helps me go back into my comms role. Because when you mm -hmm. walk a mile in those shoes, so to speak, mm -hmm. I think you can have a greater degree of empathy for what commercial and other business leaders are looking for and how comms can help solve those problems for them. Okay. I have to ask this question because I never get the opportunity because let's, let's be honest, most comms leaders do not also run beer companies. 30 seconds, Pete. What makes a great beer? What makes a great beer? <laughs> Um, well, I think one of the things that that our guys do inside our craft companies are they just get they 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 think of themselves and I think of them as they're they're like chefs today. They're very creative. Um, they experiment with ingredients that 10, 15, 20 years ago would never have been thought about to be used for beer. Um, and then they are able to once they align on a recipe that that they go test them in their tasting rooms. And once they start getting that that uh, 
that that real world um, research when people come into a tasting room and say, oh, that that that's that's really interesting. The ability to make it consistently mm. over time is what's really critically important. So it comes down to quality, consistency, but that all starts with you know great creativity as well. Okay, as long as this isn't giving away a secret that you don't want to give away, what are one of those ingredients that would really surprise people that are in some of your beers? Well, I mean, people we're now using coffee, we're using chocolate, we're using all types of exotic berries. I mean, there's you you mm. name it. You, you know, people are are using uh, all different types of things. Maple syrup. I mean, there's 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 so many different ingredients that are going into beer today. My mind was still blown away when someone first introduced me to bacon ice cream. So I guess right. that, I guess that's all along the same lines. But thanks for sharing that, Pete. Yeah. Now back to our regularly scheduled program. <laughs> um, another distinction you have is that you led an agency, Dig, and now you lead a brand comms team and a beer company. From that unique perspective, I am sure you have lots of thoughts on how agencies and clients can work best together. Would you mind sharing some of those with our podcast audience? Yeah, I mean, I think the best agency relationships are the ones that stand the test of time. There are a lot of great agencies out there, and the agencies that are um, really kind of used as a one-off project here and there, you know... They, I don't like that approach because I think it commoditizes creativity and it commoditizes the agency relationship. I would prefer when I was on the agency side to have relationships where if you don't want to be technically called an AOR, you're essentially acting as that because when you will allow an agency to go deep into your business and to over time understand not only what business you're specifically in, how that business operates, how that business is going to be judged upon from a success or failure standpoint, and that agency becomes a true partner that's where you're going to get the biggest value. So any agency, you can pick up the phone and find an agency to do a variety of different things, you know, secure earned media, develop an influencer program, whatever it may be. But I think where, you know, you really find the magic is when you have an agency who's willing to invest in a long-term client relationship and then the client who's also willing to allow that to happen and let them in fully into your business and to become a true partner. Fair enough, but let me ask you this though. Obviously, even long-term relationships have to start before yeah. they're long-term relationships. There's always gonna be a case where you are gonna be bringing in a new agency, even if it's for a project, or maybe you are looking for a new AOR. Mm -hmm. So um, I, completely, I completely appreciate what you're saying about the long-term relationship, but um, let's say the relationship is just beginning. I mean, what are the things to look for that will tell you that, you know what, this could be a good match? Well, I think it comes down to um, how they are, wh what they've done to get up to speed on your business. Mm. How smart are they? What have they invested in their own time to think about and drive a perspective on your business? Even if it's wrong, I like businesses, the agencies that come to me with a perspective. Tell me what you think we're doing right and why. Tell me what you think we're doing wrong and why. Tell me what competition is doing right and why and wrong as well. So have a perspective and go actually put some time into developing that perspective. And again, I actually judge less on whether it's right than if it's actually informed. And there's a difference between informed and right. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> so that's one point. The other part of it is is I don't want an agency to be driven entirely by you know what that first economic relationship is going to be. So I am all about getting um, providing full value for your time and your 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 thinking. But if you are going to prioritize a short-term economic windfall over the potential to go long, mm -hmm. then that 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 tells me what kind of agency you may be as well. This is a man agency to go want to work with. I know that. Thank you for that, Pete. 
I know I'm going a couple of years back, but one of the projects you played a huge role in creating and continuing is the MCTV platform, which is highly acclaimed for its effectiveness for internal comms with both employees and distributors. Employees are such a key stakeholder group for any organization. What are Pete Marino's keys to success when it comes to internal communications, and how is technology helping you achieve those? Well, I mean, I think for a company like ours, we have uh, about 8,000 employees in the United States. We want those employees to be knowledgeable about what we're doing as a business so that those 8,000 employees can be brand ambassadors. Mm. When you start thinking about network dynamics and 8,000 people who are knowledgeable about your brands, who are passionate about your brands, and then they can speak from a knowledgeable standpoint with their friends and family and, and defend our brands and help sell our brands, those network dynamics can be very, very, very powerful for a company, no matter how many employees you have. So that's one part. Another part for us is we want to be, we want to have a trustworthy and transparent relationship with our employees. Now you can't. There are obviously limits to that, from especially as publicly traded companies, in terms of when you can say things and how you can say them versus when you tell the street, for example. Mm -hmm. You know, you've got to. So you've got to be guided by what's right there, but. What matters to us is when we put out something for an employee audience, most times we will simultaneously alert our, at least the trade press to exactly what we sent to our employees. So we assume that our employees are going to take that information and some of them may pass it along because they want to go get it leaked to the news media. Mm. Others may pass it along to a friend because they're excited about it or whatever and then that gets passed on to the media. So we try to write all of our internal communications knowing or assuming that it's going to get out there in the broader world. That's a, that's a pretty smart strategy, Pete. Um, now, you are a pretty highly decorated comms leader, Pete. Numerous industry awards and accolades underscoring your influence and innovation. And of course, PR Week named you to its power list this year. Don't know why it took so long, but better late than never. He's laughing, folks. <laughs> so I think you, of all people, are very qualified to answer this. What makes a great communicator today? But in answering that, please focus on factors that you might not have said if I asked you that question, say, five years ago. Yeah, uh, it's another great question. And I think the similarities that have been there over time are things like communications as the conscience of the organization. Uh, the communications group is playing a big role in helping to build, establish and build the culture of an organization. Um, making sure that the communications are both clear, precise, and that's also very similar. I think the biggest change is the level of connectivity to the business, the closeness to the business. And I think that that has changed a lot in the last five years, and I think it's going to change a lot in the next five or ten years. When I see um, communications leaders, not just in this company, but others who are getting access and exposure to business uh, roles, Stacy Tank at Home Depot comes to mind. Mm -hmm. I know Stacy from, from her time at Heineken. Um, I think that is, you know, still celebrated today as uh, not not ex not is not what's normal, but an exception to the norm. I think you're going to see that happening with more frequency over the years because the more communications can be connected to the business, and can start thinking from that communications has always had needed to have an enterprise mindset, but when you understand the business and you can understand and have a very literate business conversation with the C-suite, I think it will open up your ability to be an even stronger communicator. And I think it will also provide opportunities for some right communicators to go on 
beyond communications into the, deep into the business. Do you think that, you know, it's really it's really interesting that you mentioned Stacy Tank. Obviously, I know her well, too. She's wonderful. But um, so you have Stacy with a beer background who's now running thing, running business units at um, the Home Depot and you at Miller Coors running Tenth and Blake. So something about being in the beer business that sets you up for this sort of stuff? Well, I, yeah, so, you know, it, I think the beer business is a complex business. So, number one, um, beer is one of the most highly regulated industries in the country. Mm. So there's a lot of different laws at the state, federal, and local level that you've got to be cognizant of. Number two, we're a three-tier system. So we don't sell beer directly to retail establishments. So we sell it to an independent, largely independent network of distributors who have been in business in most cases multiple generations in their family and so we have got to work on uh, there's a there's a level in the beer business that that is created by our route to market structure that is a, more around how you influence and how do you sell and how do you really engage these very successful and in some locally very large and important businesses to want to invest more time and money in your brand portfolio than they have in the other brand portfolios that they support. So what do I mean by that? Well, take Heineken, for example. In a lot of houses, the Heineken brand portfolio and our portfolio are in the same distributor. Mm -hmm. They'll also have the Constellation portfolio and 20 or 30 different craft portfolios. A lot of times the Boston beer portfolio. Each one of these individual suppliers is trying to encourage their distributor partner in that market why they need to invest more time, energy, and resource into their portfolio to go and push it a little bit harder at retail so their brand is able to maximize its potential. Mm. And so that is a dynamic that's pretty unique to beer that I think is is something that is um, something that provides you with a different layer of complexity that other people from other industries don't have to deal with. That's really really interesting. I appreciate I appreciate your um, I appreciate your insights on that and I guess I'll just ask you one more question. You sort of touched on it again but um, I just asked you what makes a great communicator today. Five years from now, how do you think you'll answer that question? And I know you don't have I know you don't have a crystal ball, but you're pretty smart. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, so I think I think the pace of change and the the pace of news is going to change. I think it's going to continue to accelerate. I think technology will absolutely continue to enable both that pace of change and also our ability to respond in real time. I think those things are are, are given. There's nothing there's nothing dramatically new about that. What I think is going to be something to think about and pay attention over the next five year period of time is how the divisiveness of this country plays into how businesses are going to respond to events. Um, if you think about, you're starting to see, you know, CEOs taking stands on social issues. Mm -hmm. There's pros and cons to that. We've thought a lot about, you know, whether what side of the fence do 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 we want to be on? Um, and I think the way that the that America, it, my hope is that America is going to start coming more together than becoming further apart. Right now, it certainly feels like we're being driven further apart, but I think communications can play a huge role in the next five years in helping to establish the common ground and, and, and helping to bring bring us closer together. Very, very good note to end on. Pete, that was terrific. Thank you so much. I think I could use a beer now, and I'm probably in a pretty, place to, pretty good place to get one, even though when I came in here, I will note, Pete offered me water and soda, not beer. It's 5 oh. o'clock somewhere, right, Gideon? Uh, probably. <laughs> uh, I just got off a plane. What do I know? But anyway, but before I do that, 
Um, thanks again to P. Marina for joining me today. And thanks to all of you and our audience for tuning in. Please continue to visit EarnMediaRising.com for podcasts, articles, columns, and more. Until next time, this is Gideon Fiddles. I'm Magic Editor of PR Week, wishing you a great day.